0: Drop, reflecting on the water As the sun shuts her eyes Don't know why you'll uncover Watch the tide rolling With the moonlight Everything is silent i this just a Welcome back. We are missing magnolias, and we have a wild case that we're going to talk about today. Of particular interest is the unidentified remains that, to this day, we have no idea who this person is. Let's start at the beginning. Somebody stumbles upon a barrel in the woods. Turns out the barrels are full of decomposing bodies. A good amount of time goes by, and we find another barrel in the woods with some more decomposing bodies. Turns out, 20 years later, they are able to identify some of those remains. They find a woman and three children in total. That young woman and two of the children have been identified. However, one child still remains unidentified. That is generally the focus of what we're going to talk about, is that unidentified remains. We have a known offender for those homicides. He has a convoluted story as well. Thank you again for bringing this to our attention.
1: Michelle's got all of the cool insight. And KATC, that's our local news, published something in January of this year of 2021 about this unknown child and that she might have ties to the Gulf Coast. It's opening up and kind of localizing her case, hoping that maybe people from the area, including here, as well as Mississippi and other surrounding areas could possibly help identify this
0: unknown child. Absolutely. They're generally called the Bear Brook murders. So the individual we're talking about today is Bear Brook Park Jane Doe. She was born between 1975 and 77. She was two to four at the time of her death. She had wavy brown hair. She was a little tiny human that no one has been able to identify yet. From the DNA testing, they've determined that her father is the offender. Yes, she is the biological daughter of the offender. Her father's deceased. He was a serial offender who went by tons of different names and had multiple families and is associated with lots of missing persons cases and a variety of homicides throughout the nation. We have no idea who the mother is. We think that the child's mother is probably one of his victims. no one has been able to link her to any of the suspected victims or anything like that. Some genetic genealogy was done and they believe that she has relatives in and around Pearl River, which may also include uh, parts of Louisiana. A lot of times when we hear about genetic genealogy, we hear about the ones that are successful. We don't hear about the ones where we have fifth generation relatives and that seems to be the case here. The relatives are from so long ago, there are no closer genetic relationships in the databases. So we're asking all of you guys to go into your family's trees and see if you have some cousins that have the same names as this young girl and let's get her identity found. Somebody has to be missing. Somebody has to know of a cousin who took off with their daughter to never be seen again.
1: Terry Rasmussen has been linked to five victims And it's sad that he is no longer with us only in the sense that there's potentially many, many more victims. He died in prison of natural causes in 2010. The young woman and the three children, including this unknown child that were found in the barrels, their identities hadn't been confirmed until 2019. And in 2017, it was then confirmed that Terry Rasmussen was linked to their murders.
0: Terry was known as the chameleon killer. And I just have to say, I hate the monikers that we give serial offenders. Why do we give them such snazzy names? I feel like he should be called Tiny Dick Terry. (laughs) Like I could get behind that moniker. Why do we give them names that make them seem like they're cool or conniving? I think if he was just roaming around killing people that he could kill, and that was sort of the end of it.
1: Or even just going through these cases, how about the worst Thanksgiving date from hell? Because so many of these victims he had brought to meet his family. This is my boyfriend, and he had went by different aliases, so he had different names, and then shortly after meeting the family, these poor people vanished.
0: Yeah, comes over, he eats your turkey, and then he (laughs) kills your relative.
1: Horrible. Ridiculous. The first woman that was in the barrel that was found by the hunters in 1985 in Bearbrook Park, her name was Marlise Elizabeth Honeychurch. She had two daughters, Sarah McWaters and Marie Vaughn, and they were both children of two separate marriages. And again, Marlise had gone to Thanksgiving, introduced her boyfriend to her family. They were living in California. This was 1978. And then shortly after Thanksgiving, she vanished. For her family, the Honey Churches, their daughter and their two nieces, gone for decades. No idea what happened to them. The second barrel is where they found Sarah, as well as this unknown child.
0: So the barrels were relatively close to each other, I think 300 feet apart, but it was in a forest. It's very reasonable that it's probably going to be difficult to find something like that in a forest, although there has been some scrutiny for the law enforcement for their inability to perhaps Secure a large enough scene of the crime because a good amount of time went by before that second barrel was found. I do want to say that I thought it was pretty amazing that Allentown, the, the nearest community, sort of pulled funds together and paid for the burial of those remains, not knowing at all if they were community members or anything about these individuals. I thought that was a really sweet story about how the community took care of those deceased victims. It
1: was great that they buried this mother and her two daughters. And I'll just read the gravestone. It was really moving. Uh, Here lies the mortal remains known only to God of a woman aged 23 to 33 and a girl child aged 8 to 10. Their slain bodies were found on November 10th, 1985 in Bear Brook State Park. May their souls find peace in God's loving care. How many gravestones do you walk by and they just
0: have no name? It's sad. And this shows us how much, even when we have no connection to the victims, how cases like this can affect the community in so many different ways. And this really was a small town. The law enforcement were not in any way, shape, or form ready for any sort of case like this. That can make it much more difficult to resolve a case like that, in part because you don't have the manpower or the funds or any of the technological tools that you need to properly investigate. I think it's really impressive that they continue to push to identify everyone and to solve these cases.
1: It's interesting. It's 10 past years and this guy is no longer around, but in many ways, I think a lot of these cases are coming to light and are unfolding in real time. And it's been helpful to kind of streamline what the victims that we do know are tied to Terry
0: Rasmussen, as well as talk about other possible victims. Here's another serial offender that we didn't know was a serial offender who is operating throughout the United States as a traveling serial offender, which is very rare. Most serial offenders kill in localized areas where they're very comfortable with where they are. They know the ins and outs. They know how to dispose of a body without getting caught, those types of things. Not small Dick Terry. Terry's running around all over the United States. He's killing children. That's pretty rare, too. Most serial offenders predominantly kill a certain type. So they're more likely to kill women. They might kill one child or they'll kill men. They might kill one woman. But we have Terry who's annihilating entire families. We haven't even started talking about the people not in the barrel. We can make our way back.
1: I would love to talk briefly about family annihilators and where Terry fits into this pattern and, or not. This is kind of interesting. Like you said, he's capable of killing his own children, women, victims of all ranges.
0: That's why this unidentified remains, this young girl who is his biological daughter is such an interesting piece of the puzzle, I think. I wonder if he used his daughter to appear as the single dad trying his best. And maybe that made women with children or women in general more comfortable to be around him. What was it about his appeal? Because boy, when you read what those family members of these slain victims say, they have nothing positive to say about this man. He was not overly charismatic. He was not attractive. Those family members immediately assumed that he was up to something nefarious. So what was his pull? I don't know. It was so
1: interesting to read about his first known victim. So tragic. And if you listen to these family members, there's a great Dateline special where family members are interviewed. It's just heartbreaking. And Terry's first victim was Eun Sun Jun. She was a chemist from California. She was in her mid-40s. So unlike some of the other women, she was older. I think there must have been something about Terry. He latched on to people that were maybe still searching for something in life. Because by all accounts, Yun-sun sounds like a free spirit, very curious and interested in the world. And she had brought Terry to meet her parents in Richmond, California. At that point, he was going by Larry Vanner. And two years after she brought him to meet her parents, she went missing. They were married in 2001, and it's estimated that he killed her in 2002. The way that they discovered Yun son, she was buried in a crawl space in Terry's apartment under four or five feet of cat litter. Horrible. She was, had suffered blunt force trauma, which had become kind of the hallmark in his killings. Police couldn't really tie him in that to anything physical, but they were able to trace where he bought the cat litter because he bought like 10 pounds of it, and they were able to convict him on that.
0: That's a bizarre way to dispose of a body. Let's talk a little bit about his MO. Most offenders change their M.O. over time because they know that police have been tracking them based on their M.O. So I find it interesting that he seems to be consistent with the one force trauma or he usually does some sort of physical damage to their heads or skulls. That's what happened with the remains, the women and children in the barrel. That's what happened with his first victim. And he's been linked to other cases based on that as well. That is often a rarer form of homicide. And I'm just surprised with his level of consistency in that. Perhaps he just thought he wouldn't be caught. But most people miss their family members. And I know that there was a big push in his first victim's family to find out why they weren't hearing from her for so long. homicide that he was convicted of and went to prison for the family were actively looking for their family member and i believe that their push ensured that she was found he was arrested and convicted
1: it was strange because with this case he confessed and i think his attorney as well as police were kind of taken aback but they had suspicion that there was definitely more to the story there's five known victims there's the four people in the veril and his first victim, and those are the ones that are tied to him that they've been able to prove. And there's other possible victims we could get into a little bit. There is a woman, her name, Denise Bedouin. She went missing in 1981 with her six-month-old daughter, again, shortly after bringing her boyfriend home to meet her parents, and he was going by Robert T. Evans. Denise, his body has never been found, but Denise had a daughter. Her name was Lisa, and she was not biologically Terry's. She was abducted by Terry and in 1986 in Scotts Valley, California at an RV park. He was then going by the name of Jordan Jensen. He left his daughter, Lisa, who was about five years old at the time with this nice family called the Deckers. He had some kind of made up story about how his wife had been either hit by a car from some reports or had died of cancer. He was really laying it on thick. People really believed him that he was grief stricken he asked the Deckers if he could leave Lisa with them. He vanished. Unfortunately, the Deckers couldn't keep her. They tried to find Gordon Jensen, which was the name he was going by, to sign off on paperwork and the adoption. Lisa became a key part of this case. He ended up being arrested in 1990 for child neglect. He fleed. And Lisa, unfortunately, had to go into foster care. The Deckers couldn't adopt her. Through genealogy, years later, she was able to find her family members. I believe also through the geneticist that we mentioned, Barbara Ray Venter, Lisa was one of her cases, and she was able to help her a find her identity and be some living family members because she didn't know who her mother was. Terry had abducted her and taken her at a young age. So crazy!
0: Poor little child with no identity. She has no idea who her people are, and she's with this man who she thinks she can trust who is the person who most likely killed her mother and perhaps siblings. It's just so bizarre. I mean, who kills families? The occasional serial killer will kill families. I think of a Dennis raider but he likes a show and he likes people to watch and that's why he killed the family. I don't think that's what Terry was doing from what we can learn from his behavioral patterns. Why let Lisa live? Well, this is 1981. This is before we think the women and children in the barrels were killed. It could be that he learned, unfortunately, that not killing the child leads to more problems because you have to have more stories to cover up and it becomes a whole thing. And he didn't wanna leave a trail of evidence. We do hear of offenders who start killing victims they used to just sexually assault because they didn't want evidence left behind. Maybe that's something that Terry picked up along the way. Is that easier to just kill everyone, including children?
1: That's a really fascinating idea that you kind of brought into the mix. And unfortunately, the way
0: that these bodies were found, we'll never know if there was any evidence of assault. One of the motivations for this, maybe Terry was after the children, then mom found out, and then that was the end of mom. There's so much that we don't know, it's mind boggling. Yeah, his kids,
1: some of them are full grown and they've been talking to the media There was one family, I think he had four or five kids, and he was married to a woman in Hawaii. And then this family moved to Arizona, and he obviously left them, and he had no contact with them. I can't imagine, they must have been horrified then to learn, A, what happened to their dad that left them, and then to find out he was this horrible serial killer. So many questions. So why wasn't it me?
0: Why did they get to live? And I think we don't, I mean, not that we should, or that it's our job to think about the families of the serial offenders but they are victims as well there's a really great podcast and i'm forgetting it right now where the smiley face killer's daughter goes just tells her story and goes through the process of what it was like to live with a dad who was a very violent serial offender and he was also a traveling serial killer i think he was a long-haul truck driver and he very brutally murdered women usually bludgeoning them strangling them doing really terrible terrible things how it was to live in his shadow the guilt and all of the other issues that you have with that. I can't imagine what the surviving family feel like. We know from the Golden State
1: Killer, if you've read Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark, that a problem was that local police jurisdictions in California didn't communicate with each other. And and that's certainly true, I think, in this time. Maybe they could have started to connect some of the dots because he was a repeat offender and he moved around and it definitely worked to his advantage. It looks like there's no direct ties in New Hampshire and Mississippi. We know that he was living in New Hampshire. We don't know if he was living in Mississippi where this unknown child is potentially could be from.
0: Chances are he was roaming around the United States. It's very possible that in and around the 70s and 80s, many individuals in our communities have come into contact with this person. Think back to that awkward Thanksgiving dinner where such and such brought this new dude over and he was extra strange and then you didn't hear from her or her child again i feel like the family dinner thing is part of his pattern yeah well so i feel like somebody's had a family dinner with this dude in mississippi or louisiana right 15 years ago oh my god That's kind of like with Ted Bundy,
1: how many people come out of the woodwork and they weren't attacked by him, but they have some horrific passing with him because he was just so active in so many different states.
0: And we'd all like to think that we would know that we would be able to pick out the air quote bad guy in a room. But no, we can't. By and large, we can't. But there are additional possible victims. I don't even think we finished that list. In 1995, a woman's decomposed body was found in a fridge in a canal in San Joaquin (laughs) County, California. The crime bears the hallmark of Terry's crime, blunt so force trauma to the head. They also found a certain brand of milk that was localized to the area where in which Terry was residing at the time, which is a very interesting find. They have not been able to identify this victim. There's been no DNA link or anything like that to Terry. It's just following some of his patterns of behavior I bet that there's somebody working on using some genetic genealogy or something like that to identify that victim. And then we'll see with the timeline whether or not it's linked to Terry and his offending. It's frightening how prolific this
1: guy might have been. If you go on Wikipedia, there's possible other victims. In the 80s, a bunch of young women went missing in New Hampshire around where he lived. And unfortunately, they've been ruled out with DNA One of the victims was even thought to have been one of Terry's. And then it was horribly found out that she was a victim of the redheaded murders. That's another big case.
0: Yeah, we talked about the redheaded murders before. And it just goes to show you how prolific serial offenders were in this time frame of the 70s and 80s. So many people that say over and over again how dangerous the world is today. I hear that all the time. And the number one thing we talk about in most of the classes that I teach on like day one, after I go over the syllabus and the final paper, I tell them how common crime is today. Generally speaking, we are living a much safer society today than we did in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. We've experienced the great American crime drop in the mid early to mid 1990s. And a lot of our violent crimes mirror that trend in a great decline. the past couple of years we've seen a little bit of an uptick but nothing that's been dramatic or any way that mirrors what we saw in the 70s and 80s we are just learning in each and every day how more violent it was then when we are able to identify these offenders just like Terry, he was arrested in 2003 and he was thought to be a single serial offender and then now in 2017 to 2019 we know that he has been a serial offender active across the United States and maybe a very prolific serial offender for all we know. And we had no idea. And this is happening every day. So I'm not saying leave your doors unlocked. I'm just saying, take a deep breath. We're
1: a lot safer than we were. Because we have the news and social media, you just feel like you know every corner of the globe when something bad is happening. So when you walk outside of your house, you just feel constantly like there's a looming threat everywhere you go. I'm reading this book and it's pretty crazy. It's talking about how in the 30s, even before, if you remember that case, the Lindenberg baby that was kidnapped, this guy is talking about how apparently in the 30s, kidnapping was just so common. With the depression, it was lucrative to kidnap. It goes into what you're saying, how it was so much more dangerous in other times.
0: We've kind of lost that perspective. We forget how dangerous it actually was. I have to remind myself, I had a good friend who told me one day when I was struggling with how disappointing the world is, humans aren't made to know everything that's going on across the nation and the world. I think we've given enough attention to this Thanksgiving date from
1: hell that we're now (laughs) going to call him Terry Rasmussen. We can post on social media the links if you have any information for the New Hampshire Police Department, any tips, as well as the link to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. We'll definitely provide links on social media to tie in with this case.
0: Please go on, especially if you're from the Pearl River, Mississippi area. Go on your family records and see if you have
1: some shared relatives. One more thing that someone else and I almost forgot, because it was such a good point on Reddit, It's possible that this child, he followed the Waco cult, with those kids, they were kind of isolated. So it's possible that, A, this child's mother and this child really didn't have a lot of contact with the outside world, which just makes finding her identity
0: even harder. And we have a child who hasn't been in the school system yet. Those records are likely to be non-existent. They're probably only going to have birth records, if at that not totally impossible for children to be born not outside of a hospital setting in that time frame. The only thing that we would have are family members who have memories or genetic links. Again, if anyone's
1: listening and you feel comfortable, upload your DNA to GEDmatch. We saw that it became useful if you've tuned in for our other episode on Mostly Harmless Hiker. Family DNA is helping solve a lot of cases, so you can maybe help and assist.
0: Every day. Absolutely. You need to help in finding your 16th cousin who killed that person 30 years ago. Now your responsibility.
1: (laughs) That's their (laughs) new slogan for the commercial. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Your 16th cousin. (laughs) See you next time. Signing off.